This is The Binary Podcast, a conversation about gender. We explore masculinity and femininity to discover what does it mean to be man or woman. And we are your companions in this journey of discovery, Matt and Alex. So today we're here to talk about career and we're looking at that from a couple of different lenses. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Matt, on expectations and what you feel are traditionally male careers and traditionally female careers. Separate to that, what progression looks like for gender and how gender plays a part in influencing progression. And then finally, touching upon like representation in different roles and what it looks like for me really is looking up to role models and, and career guiders who I see as part of myself. So what do you see as career and how does it look for you? For me, um, career is, I think it's often considered narrowly as in like, what do you do to earn a crust? But I think the better way to think about career is the suite of things you do that make up your life that are probably sit separate to your hobbies and personal pursuits. So, you know, it might be, working part-time, it might be caring or any number of other things. What do you think when you think about career? Yeah, I think the the struggle that I often come up against with the concept career is where you do draw that line. So if career en- encompasses parenthood or caring for children, that to me now sits quite w- like nicely in career or in a different career. Um, But I don't think at the moment, I think that's a transition that we're going through where that's sometimes not considered part of career and career is just a job or work that brings in income. Yes. And also the other things that people might do where they're applying skills, like, for example, volunteering or sitting on not-for-profit boards and and things like that, that to me is in that grey area in the middle where some people might think that's part of their career. And others might think that that's a personal pursuit. Yes, absolutely. So, Al, if we're thinking about the kind of infinitely broad range of things that someone can do in their careers and we're taking a gender lens to that, what do you think are the established male careers and established female careers? I think in terms of the careers that I've been exposed to, the ones that come into my head really quickly are things like that involve manual labour, the really traditional physical roles that align with masculinity Mm. um, traditionally. In my environment, what I see more of are leadership roles um, that might be traditionally masculine and where males do quickly rise rise into those positions. Mm. And that's probably more present for me in the environment that I'm in at the moment. And then I also see a lot of female careers looking like the doers, the like the workers underneath yeah. and often being directed. And caring. that's a huge generalization. Um, yeah. I know, but it's it's generally what I've experienced. Right. What about for you? Yeah, I think male and female careers can kind of almost be divided by the empathy line. So it's like if you need any empathy to do the job, whether it be, you know, nurse teacher, aged care worker, they're feminine jobs. And if you need no empathy, then, you know, women can do them as well, but that's where you'll find all the guys. We're at a point where some of these roles are so gendered 
like nurses, for example, that you hear all the time of stories of women working in a hospital and the automatic thought is, oh, yeah, they must be a nurse. And, you know, this is from my even myself, like someone who's very interested in gender issues and unconscious gender biases, that that's still so heavily entrenched. And I think that works in so many different roles is your your mind automatically assigns someone a, a pronoun, for example, like administrative assistance or mm. personal assistance. Um, you say something about that person and someone says, oh, I can't believe she did that. Yes. And it's yeah. just a really interesting, well, it's an interesting way that your brain processes and categorises and deals with information mm. and where that unconscious bias can be pulled up. It's, mm. it's really interesting to engage with that. Yeah. I think we're also feeding these talent pools through the way that children have been raised forever. You know, parenting has been so gendered or in terms of the way that we raise children. You know, we dress girls in pink and boys in blue and boys play play with trucks and girls play with Barbie dolls. So, of course, they're going to develop a natural interest in, you know, the progression of of those toys they played with when they were younger. And they don't really have any opportunity to develop any other interests. So we shouldn't be surprised, I don't think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And for you personally, do you remember what kinds of toys you played with and how they might link into your career? Uh, How they might link into my (laughs) career as a management consultant. Um, You know what, I I had female cousins that I played with a lot when I was very young. And despite the fact that I was an only child and a boy, I remember having some quite girly toys. So I had I had like Polly Pocket and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't know why Mum got it for me, but I'm glad she did. But then I also had Action Man and you know lots of sports stuff. I think it probably got increasingly masculine as I grew up. What were your toys when you were young? Yeah, I'm just trying to remember. I I remember a lot of Barbie dolls and then this other doll that came in called a Bratz doll. Oh, Bratz. Um, I don't know if you remember that one. Is that the kind of example we want to see for kids? <laughs> Absolutely not. They had really, really large heads and large feet. I just remember them being quite, quite um, bizarrely <laughs> proportioned. Okay, great. But then in contrast to that, I think a lot of my time was spent outdoors and it was mm. with like with animals most of the time, which is probably a slightly different childhood to to some environments where I was spending a lot of my time mm. either engaging with like an animal or trying to care for an animal or protect it and create a home and build things for them. Yes. Um, so I think like that really played a, quite a part in me working out what I wanted to do and my first career goal was to be an animal behaviourist. Um, well off track. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you, you have a, a brother that grew up in that same environment and for you, you use that environment to kind of create a, a caring, nurturing side or develop that side of yourself. What did he do? Was it the same or was it different? Yeah, so he definitely, I think what I saw in his experience was he had two younger sisters who would play naturally with each other, the same age, same interests, same gender. And what I saw in his experience was he needed to almost convince one of us to come out and play with him. So he'd have to try different tricks of how to get us often to come out and play with him. He wanted to do sports and play 
like rugby in the backyard and he had two <laughs> small female sisters. So it was sometimes a challenge. But he would coax you out with the idea that oh, this is going to be so fun, you're going to, uh, like, I won't tackle you. And he yeah. would make sure that it would sound not masculine in a way and yeah. get you outside to do that with him. So I think in terms of things like positive persuasion and getting on someone's page and being in the other person's shoes and seeing what they might get out of it, mm. I see that's something that he really, really learnt or um, has demonstrated, like, throughout his life and career. So it sounds then like society's kind of categorised professions into male or female or somewhere in the middle um, and that, you know, we're kind of right from an early age where directing young boys and girls towards those professional endeavours. Absolutely. Mm. And I think what I definitely see now is quite a lot of disruption in that space. Things like Code Like a Girl and um, a lot of movements that are heading into single-sex schools that challenge those norms. I still think like the underlying family environments often will guide people, but I do see a lot of disruption and change and flexibility. And I know I certainly felt as a female growing up that I should and could be able to access any job role unless it's probably physical. Right. And that can only be a positive thing. Absolutely. So let's talk then about career progression and accessing opportunities. Do you see that there's a gender disparity in this area? Yeah. So I think this one really does depend on your environment and what workplace you're in like you said before contrasting something like nursing and a career in nursing against a career in a traditionally male dominated environment I think is quite different Mm. for me personally being in a business or corporate environment I think the accessing opportunities how I've reflected on it is that you have to ask and you have to be really open and forthright about what you would like. Um, And I think that that traditionally I would have seen as a more masculine characteristic that Mm. I've I've learned and I've tried to embed in putting aside whatever's there for me to not ask and then just ask. So, yeah, that I think is interesting is that the environment calls for you to be something different to what you naturally might be. Yeah. So so you're, you know, a feminine woman who's – developed the masculine side of herself to be successful in, in the corporate environment. That's what I feel, yes. Yeah. That's so interesting. What's it been like for you? Yeah, I think it's I think it's set up to encourage masculine characteristics. So I think to an extent, you know, I've developed the masculine side of myself as well in order to play within the rules there. And I think you're so right. I think that the the corporate environment within which we both operate is, yeah, requires a, a level of forthrightness and, and almost demand for opportunity or support. And, you know, there are so many fantastic feminine people, whether they be male or female, that you see come through environments like that that, you know, choose to take themselves out because it's not so not suited to their social or, or personal identity. Absolutely. And I think in that in that way, the the thing that teams miss out on is the care for a team or the the time invested in others when it's prioritizing something like selling or 
doing or being confident and mm-hmm. directive and that yeah that's just a, a direct trade-off in my in my view yes it's interesting too that part of the part of the kind of feminine identity is about being caring being supportive and pleasing people and so I think that there's a real desire in you know meeting timelines and deadlines and performing to a high standard and not putting not putting colleagues out and the flip side of that is that we may find that it's more challenging for a a feminine person so generally a woman to demand the support that they need in order to fulfill on what they need to successfully Absolutely. and that that can be a I would imagine that can be a bigger fall for them to feel like that they have disappointed or let down their their colleagues or their bosses. Yes, absolutely. What's just popped into my head is this idea I heard, I think a week or two ago, about the concept of time and how you actually perceive time and space in, in whatever you do. Hmm. And it was talking to the point of whether you consider you have infinite time or if you have finite time. And the generalisation that was drawn in that environment was that males often consider they have finite time and I don't have time for that is something that comes out very frequently in any kind of request, offer or demand kind Mm. of environment. For females, what that looks like is I'll find time. Right. So they have infinite time and they'll fit it in and they'll make sure that they extend whatever they have within their day Mm. to compensate for whatever the request is. Can you hear your thoughts on what that means for you? Yeah, I think um, I can definitely relate to, well, maybe both sides of that, the I'll find time or I don't have time. I think as I've you know become more established and progressed in my career and also probably emphasise or drawn on my masculine traits more, I've, I've felt a lot more empowered to say I don't have time, whereas at the beginning I definitely would have just said I'll find time to anything because I, you know, didn't want to didn't want to let people down. Have you seen it play out in in your work experience? Yeah, I think what I see a lot of is exactly that. There are times when you feel really empowered to say no, I don't have time. Particularly when you start stretching. I think the learning for me was stretching the what I thought was the infinite time to the edge of how finite it was, yes. <laughs> and then starting to realise that. No, genuinely, I just won't be able to fit that in and I'll miss the deadline was the learning that I came came up against. So now I think I do feel much more comfortable with the slightly more masculine characteristic of being able to view my day and my time as finite and drawing a, a box around something that I can or can't do. Mm. One of the frontiers, I think, in the corporate world at the moment, and it ties into this idea of making requests, is flexible working arrangements. So it's, of course, something that's not common right across the workforce, but in, you know, very much in private sector and at that kind of big corporate, it's something that we're seeing more and more. And of course, I recognise that it's it's not something that everyone has access to. In saying that, there seems to be that disproportionately it's, it's women that draw on these flexible working arrangements and that men don't seem to be. What are your reflections on that? Yeah, I find that really interesting in that I can't, like I can't clearly see a root cause of it. Mm. What I think might impact it is 
maybe the necessity to to physically step out of the workforce or the traditional workforce for at least a couple of weeks when you have a child mm. perhaps gives someone who's the primary carer the feeling that they they have the right to do that in just one sense i think there's also a view that's held in in some environments still that males have to have a consistent ongoing career and mm. that that's something that's expected you will earn money every day of your life until you retire um, and you'll bring that in for a family unit um, and that view when it's still held in work environments i think that is a is perhaps a barrier for some men who are looking to to make use of flexible working arrangements mm. what, what about you yeah i think i agree with everything that you've said um, and i think that because we're at the beginning of this journey away from the standard nine to five working week right now it seems like there's a perception that the only valid reason to use flexible working arrangements is to be a carer and you know as as we've discussed before that role still disproportionately falls to women so i think that would explain why we're seeing flexible working arrangements adopted kind of disproportionately by by women because they're the ones that are stepping into into caring arrangements now i don't think that should be the case i would love to see men and women share caring duties equally and in addition to that, I would love to see men and women feel empowered to lean on flexible working arrangements for reasons other than caring for others, whether that be to to establish a, a personal project or pursue some sort of creative pursuit or anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Has there been anything in your career that stopped you from accessing that arrangement when you wanted to? I think the way that roles are set up now is you know, we're still very much in workforces where, you know, we allocate headcount to projects or to teams or whatever. And we haven't really worked out how to set things up such that we can get a full-time equivalent out of more than one person without there being, you know, need for handover. So my job just kind of needs me to be there five days a week and be available each day. And so that's a barrier for, for stepping out for a day or a couple of days a week because, I, you know, who's going to, who's going to pick up the slack. And also, you know, it's not, it's not been something that I've sought out at this point in my career anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And I think that's been the same for me so far is while I'm young and able to work five five days a week. Um, I've always had in the back of my mind that that's what I should be doing, and you have to bank up as much money as you can to set yourselves up or set yourself up for whatever you need to do when you when you hit about thirty. I think. Yeah, <laughs> and and also to, just to kind of like tie a loop on on this on this idea of flex working, we're talking about it here in the context of part time versus full time working. And also it can look so many other different ways in terms of early start times and finish times and nine-day fortnights and all sorts of other um, things that we probably don't have time to go into in this yes. conversation. So the final thing that we wanted to talk about was gender representation in corporate leadership. Tell me about what that looks like. <laughs> so this area I'm like super passionate about and I think that it's it's probably the, the part of – gender and career that is the most obvious or, or plain because you can measure it. 
not that you can't measure the other things, but you can very clearly see often what genders are in which roles. What I think is just so interesting about this topic is we've been talking about it for so many years and we've been working on ways to increase women in leadership positions and increase the visibility of those women as well. Mm. But we haven't yet fully worked out a way to have that either an equal split or a split that is representative of the workforce that sits beneath them. Mm. So I think like there's so much to unpack in terms of what leads into it. I think it's a big issue and a big problem. And it is something that I think about quite a lot when I'm going through my career. Yeah. What is it like for you? Oh, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it kind of feels like, you know, if I stand on the starting line of a corporate career, you look forward and you're like, oh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> you know, what a, what a great advantage. And I, I've, I want to be really clear that I think it's terrible and I don't think at all that it should be the case. But, you know, as a straight white man, it's like pretty sweet the way it's set up. And you look forward and you're like, oh, yeah, I can see myself in that man or that man or that man. And I'm so regretful at how few great female role models there are available for young women entering corporate careers at the moment. Absolutely. And I think you can't be what you can't see movement that has has been kickstarted around this Mm. um, really does show you that. And And it's something that comes up not just with gender, but with all types of diversity. Um, And I think it's an important discussion to have on those parts as well. But with gender in mind, what I also see as something when I'm looking out at a positive role model in my career is I can see some elements in that man and that man and that man, Mm. but I can't see how I could be all of that person or all of that person. Um, And then similarly, I often find myself thinking that when I'm looking out at female role models is they must have something that I don't or they must have something perhaps slightly more confident Mm. or whatever it is that I'm feeling that I'm missing at that time. Um, I often see that even with the female role models, I can't necessarily see my full self in them. And do you think that the women that have succeeded, and and this is a generalisation, women that have succeeded in the corporate world or in politics in this kind of patriarchal age are the ones that are more masculine yeah it's so interesting to think is it more masculine i i don't know if that's the case what i think i do see though is there are certain levels of a much higher degree of questioning and spotlight shined in on their lives and i think that looks like things around clothing it looks like things around appearance it also looks at family life and i see that there are often things that there's this light shined on this woman's life and they say, oh, that person doesn't have children, so that's why they've been able to get to that position Mm. Um, and that could be construed as a more masculine career path. Mm. For men, I don't ever hear conversations where someone looks in with a spotlight and says they have two kids, they've gotten to that point because they've got two kids. (laughs) Despite the fact that he's got children, he's been able to become a CEO. Isn't that just inspiring? And if anything, you'd expect that he does have that and he's got this amazing support network around him that has that because you might look at his role and think that that might be weird if he doesn't have two kids and he hasn't been able to manage those those things. Yes. So, yeah, it's – 
It's interesting and I think it's that to me is a is a deterrent for mm. those high-level roles is if I'm having to justify what I'm wearing and I'm having to justify my career that I would like to spend with my family, mm. um, that part of my career, that it's a bit discouraging to see those kinds of comments come into play. Yeah, for sure. And it quote is the answer, do you think? I used to think that. Mm-hmm. Now I think that perhaps the changes that are underway in terms of moving towards flexible working environments, I'm really looking forward to seeing if they have a positive impact on the number of leaders who are able to head up into those positions. Mm -hmm. I do see value in quotas and I think that they're good to disrupt what can be a difficult system to disrupt. Mm -hmm. So perhaps quotas, I don't know. Mm. What about you? Yeah, why not? You know, like, how much longer are we going to wait for this problem to fix itself? I think that we've done a lot and I don't know why, but quotas have always just seen been seen as the nuclear option. And I think we've got to, yeah, we've got to disrupt the system. I think what you're saying is, is right. It's such a slow moving beast and it can be so self-perpetuating that with men in leadership, they hire men and men progress and more men end up in leadership. We've got to find something to, to, to blow that system up because it's not working right now. Absolutely. And I think I see so much value for men in blowing that system up in the way that the access to flexible working arrangements don't just come up through women. They also then come up with men who are in those positions. So if yep. you have someone on your board who works part-time, mm-hmm. they could be male or female or any gender, and they are accessing something that traditionally wouldn't be viewed as appropriate in a corporate environment or in any kind of environment yeah and and as a young man you know establishing a corporate career i would love to have more female leaders to go to because by virtue of their femininity there's they they can offer a different style of leadership than many of the the men that are in that environment now absolutely Well, Al, it's been another awesome conversation unpacking career and the impact that gender has. Thank you again. Look forward to our next chat. Thanks, Matt.